Hello and welcome to Uniting Against Violence. We're a group of parents basically come together to create a podcast for parents and anyone else who is concerned about serious youth violence and wants to take action to reduce it. The group of us um, consists of a mix of parent champions and ambassadors from London's Violence Reduction Unit and the Parent House. It's a charity based in Islington, King's Cross. I'm Denise and we're focusing on young people and their perspectives or experiences of serious youth violence, including what adults sometimes miss when thinking about knife crime. Um, we're here today at the Lift Youth Centre in Islington. Um, the Lift is an amazing space for young people. If you hear any background noises, please be aware that we are in a youth centre and there's also noises outside because we're on a busy road. So today, our guest speakers this week are Judith Samuel, lead youth worker at Lift Youth Club in Islington, and Julia Jenkinson, a clinical psychologist. Start with Judith, if you can introduce yourself, please. My name is Judith Samuel, I'm the Senior Youth Manager of the Lift Youth Hub. I work with quite a vast amount of young people from all ethnic backgrounds, different cultures. Most of the young people that come here are bar-wide. There's some that are part of Youth Offending Service, there's some that are part of the Prus. There's a very mixture of young people, but one of the good things is that you won't identify that when you mm. come through the doors. Mm. Because... A, young, a lot of the young people don't present certain behaviours here. Yeah. So um, it's just very different. Okay, thank you. And Julia? Yeah, so I'm Julia Jenkinson. I'm a clinical psychologist based in, it's called Islington's Integrated Gangs Team, which isn't a brilliant name, I know, because not everybody <laughs> that I work with is kind of gang-affiliated or mm. affected, but everybody has been affected by serious youth violence. And I work directly with 17 to 24 year olds and I work with parents as well and sometimes alongside their children. Prior to that I worked for about nine years as a clinician in a secondary prove in uh, North London and then in East London. As a clinical psychologist, yeah. the title, what exactly does that consist of? Most people would typically think of it as just working with mental health. But actually, I think working with this cohort of young people that I work with, and this would be young people who are definitely involved in the criminal justice system, you have to take a very different approach to mainstream mental health services because these are often young men that will not go to their GP, let alone into a secondary mental health service. So it's very much community-based outreach work. Often the boys and young men have felt very let down by services, so that it does take a lot of time to kind of build up that relationship. And as a result, I think part of the way that I work is that I do a lot of advocacy for them with the police and probation, colleges and in court, but also will help them with benefits and stuff. And although it sounds like, oh, I'm paying psychologists to do that, it's more about the issue of you using your kind of skills, really, and experience to form a relationship with them so that they trust you. Because if you're filling out benefits forms and stuff, often it's lots of personal things that they need help articulating, but they, you know, we don't feel comfortable doing it with someone that they didn't know and trust. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. So, What's your view on knife crime and serious youth violence? It's there, it exists. Mm -hmm. It's not all young people. I wouldn't say it's the majority of young people, and I think it goes right across the spectrum of young people and adults. I think that there's lots of trauma and issues behind 
serious youth violence. For some young people, their vulnerability comes a lot into it. You know, your vulnerability can take you into different avenues. I'm not saying that's an excuse, but it's a big part of why young people or people get into violence. And when you talk about violence, there's other things additional to that, like drugs and, you know, loads of different things. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's a world that is, is populated very differently amongst a lot of young people because I hear some of the stories and these are not even some people that are in, young people that are involved. Mm. They themselves are going through so much trauma mm. that sometimes they may end up walking with a knife or picking up or something yeah. and, and they're not into anything. Yeah. But I take things on individual basis. Mm. I try not to bundle it all together because yeah. it's youth violence. That's mm. massive. Well, I'm mm. going to get to you on that as well yeah. about why they choose to carry a knife. Mm. Um, okay. Julia? Yeah, I mean, I completely agree that I think I've learned to not make any assumptions about young people or to think that, oh, they're all this or they all that because they are incredibly different. I mean, I think there's some common themes amongst like not feeling safe about sometimes feeling like there aren't options open to them. And I think when you think about the involvement of drugs and selling drugs into that, the money aspect, and that often is kind of linked in with the violence and knife crime. I think one of the difficulties about having a conversation about it is that often it's presented as this very almost black and white sides of a coin rather than lots of shades of grey. So I think it becomes really difficult for services to recognise that young people can be, be perpetrators and victims and witnesses and that they can be vulnerable as well as a risk. And sometimes when I've worked with young people who have some degree of learning difficulty or be on the autistic spectrum, sometimes the things that make them most vulnerable also make them more risky and more likely to put themselves at risk. So I think it definitely feels to me, having worked in Islington from like 2011, it feels more prevalent and it feels to me that young people are more frightened a lot of the time, I think, as well. I definitely think they're frightened. And, and yeah. that's the bit that is not talked about enough. Yeah. It's talked about if someone stabbed someone, someone's carried a knife or there's yeah. been a murder. And I understand all that. But for all those young people that we speak to that are frightened and will pick up something and walk with because they're frightened, that's mm. not heard because yeah. it's against the law. You still had a knife and da, 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 you know, that sort of thing. But they are very frightened. Yeah. They're frightened with their route. They're planning their route, how to get to school, how to get to college, what's yeah. going to happen on the bus, what's going to happen along the road. I'm stepping into another postcode. There's lots yeah. of different things they've got to think about when they mm. walk out their front mm. door. Mm. Seems quite a serious like topic, just mm. the carrying of the knife and mm. the bits that are like not covered. Because most people do really think it's because they want to be gangsters. It's also about the fear factor. Mm. So what do you both think is really important to understand about this topic that we're talking about and that adults don't always get? I think it's about looking at the individual, understanding their story and, and, and not putting all young people together. Because more than often, young people are just targeted as even if they're sitting on the road or in mm. a group and probably not doing anything, there's always something put onto them. And this is something that I have discussions with the police and we do workshops here with the police mm. and young people. And it's all about communication. Have better communication with the police who young people don't like majority mm. yeah. of the times. Mm. So 
what we do, we have workshops once a month and it's with new recruits and they're hearing from young people some of the things that they're up against mm. when they're stopped and searched, how a police officer talks to them, how they feel disrespected. And then we've opened up communication. We've done this for over a year and it's made a massive difference mm. on communication, on what's the expectation from me as a young person mm. when I've been approached or from a police officer when a young person talks to me in a certain way. So I think there, there needs to be a little bit more understanding don't get me wrong, if there's serious crime going on and something's happened, I do understand that the response and how things happen is different, but I still think there needs to be a lot more communication, a lot more understanding. Okay. On that theme of thinking about young people as individuals, I think that the use of the word gang member, it has such negative connotations in the same way that we kind of see where people use the word immigrants in a very derogatory fashion and the young people know that and they know that if they go to court or if they're flagged up as a gang member by the police or in court that they're likely to be treated more harshly and I kind of think one of the things to become really clear to me is about this absolute feels I mean I'm working with young people who've been very involved you know or affected at a particular end of the spectrum have had such negative experiences that it would not occur to them to call the police if they were in danger. And I sometimes try to get my head around what would that be like for me to feel that if I was being attacked, if I was being chased, that I, what, how do I protect and defend myself? And often, you know, the way that they would see that would be through carrying a knife is, so a lot of it I think is about fear and safety and feeling like they have no other options. It's an experience that I know about but don't experience myself. So I have to try to kind of imagine what that must feel like and how hard that must be. Like I say, it's not about making excuses or, or kind of condoning a way of living. But I kind of, my experience of the young people I work with is I've never been <laughs> treated with such respect from young people that I work with and care. You know, one of the young people used to always text me after I seemed to make sure I got home okay or would offer I walk with you or I'll cycle with you to the edge of the bar, you know, the boundary. Yeah. And so I think to seeing them first and foremost as young people not gang members not victims not kind of offenders is really key and I think they pick up on that and it has to be kind of real can't be bait well that's why I like the whole thing around you can't just work with a young person for a few weeks or six weeks or 12 weeks for me it's the relationship you build and that may take a year may take two years Mm. but you can see such great leaps within that time. Yeah, we'll have our ups and downs and whatever, and that's okay. We'll mm. boundaries back and forth. But they actually want that. Consistency. They want the consistency. They mm. want the transparency. Mm. You know, you could tell them off if you have to tell them off, whatever it is. But they respond to that. Yeah. And I think that more than often, there's not a lot of people that can give that time. Yeah. So yeah. I think that is, that's an issue. Yeah. Yes. There's cut-off points. Yeah, and I think definitely in mental health services, yeah. there's a lot of, got 12 weeks, that's it, you're out. <laughs> yeah. And as well, there can be, a, I think there isn't enough examination of mental health services. There can be a lot of, oh, they, they didn't engage. And I kind of think, well, did they, was it that they weren't engaging or was what was offered not what they needed? And so you, there needs to be much more, you know, rather than the service, you know, it being set up to benefit the practitioners in the service yeah. that we kind of go out of our way mm. to work in a way that feels kind of useful to young people. Because you mentioned trauma earlier, both mm. of you. So would you say that trauma is probably the 
the largest component of it all? I think it is. I think over the last few years now, it's, you know, is it, and maybe other boroughs are, are putting out the trauma-informed training that's supposed to be embedded in mm-hmm. schools and places like that. But for myself, coming from a youth work background, I've always mm-hmm. been taught in a trauma-informed way. Yeah. So I struggled when people didn't really look at the young person and beyond what they did. Yeah. And that was always a question for me. But now I'm hearing more and more organisations saying, oh no, we've got to look, you know, it's about mm-hmm. the trauma, it's about the young person, we've got to see what the, you know, what's happened before. And that is good mm-hmm. now, because mm-hmm. I think that's really relevant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it has failed a lot of young people previously in schools and certain other organisations. What I've come to realise is that a lot of young people are living with quite severe symptoms of PTSD, so hypervigilance, sleep problems, a bit uh, struggling to regulate their emotions, and they don't realise that this is what they're experiencing. They just come to think that this is what life is like. And I think then that does have a real knock-on effect for them kind of in their relationships, in their interactions with authority figures, Mm -hmm. both at school, you know, in the wider community with police. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I've been working with young people for over 20 years and I'm sure you have as well. And I am still sometimes really taken aback about the level and seriousness of the violence And I think about my role within that because you wouldn't try to do mental health support to soldiers in a war zone. And yet there is something about the reality of the life for the young people that I often work with, that they are not safe in their community. So it is a real challenge to try to support them managing those symptoms because they need to be hypervigilant, yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah. when they're out. So it's not, you know, ordinarily, if you you would be saying, you this event happened, you're right to be, unsa- you know, kind of on your guard about that, but now you're safe. I think it's a terrible indictment, really, that for a lot of the young men that were not able to say, you are safe, so you don't need to be looking over your shoulder all the time and working towards so that. So they're running on adrenaline all the time, which is yeah. obviously... Exhausting yeah. as and well. Yeah, that's what I said, but I think actually young people in general, even mm. the ones that are not in violence, I think... Mm. More than often, young people are waiting. Yeah, they're on waiting yeah. lists. They're waiting for it, and they're saying, "Judith, I don't want to wait that long." Yeah, they want the help. Yeah, so they're not going. They're self-medicated, yeah. but then you're told, "Oh, well, it's six weeks. It's yeah. a year waiting." This yeah. and that. that needs to get better. Yeah, yeah. Whether you know some investment yeah. needs to happen there. So I just think, yeah, trauma is. It's a big thing. More than that, and if we're saying that youth violence and knife crimes going up and that, young people see stabbing all the it, time yeah. that is so normalised to them. When they talk, oh yeah, someone got shot, someone got stabbed, I was like, what? For us, it's like, what? But for them, it's like, yeah. And they're not reporting it, just like you said, yeah. because why should they? Yeah. They yeah. don't see where it goes. Yeah. And the culture of not speaking to the police yeah. at all because of fear and genuine and real fear yeah. from what that would mean for them in their community if people thought that they had shared information and I think that you know I've worked with young people whose friends have been murdered and they may have information and it that in and of itself creates such an turmoil for them about wanting to do the right thing by their friend but also being aware of their own safety and what that would mean for them if they spoke and I you're it's a hard, it you know, it's hard to imagine being so in that position. It causes a mental health yeah, issue. It yeah. does, but it also causes 
more violence because mm. retaliation yeah. comes from that rather yeah. than say let me tell the police and speak yeah. to them because of the fear yeah. they'd rather take things in their own hands yeah. and that's what I'm saying that people don't really break it down to yeah. understand mm. why some of those things yeah. happen so and then it spirals out of control because mm. then it's this person that person it goes yeah. on and on yeah. so um, there's no ending sometimes mm. to certain things Okay, so definitely mm. consistency is needed. So mm. as parents or adults, um, what do you think our role should be in playing and in basically reducing violence? That's a huge <laughs> question. And I also kind of, I suppose what I think is that the, it, the peer group is incredibly important at some point. And as, you know, just in terms of child development, as they get older, our influence as parents kind of starts to kind of not come into conflict isn't the right word but starts to also it comes alongside the peer influence and I do think that parents always remain really important but the peer group becomes ever more important and this is probably going a little bit away from what you're saying but I do think there needs to be more intervention in primary schools like late on in primary schools if you're already identifying that 12 year olds are hanging out with kids who are known to be gang affiliated they're already involved yeah that's what I say that's not preventative they're already involved and I think and then you're always going to be in a bit of a tug between what you're kind of offering as a service or as a family with their then peer group so I think year five year six it being I think they understand what is going on and it's about helping them develop self-esteem and confidence and feeling that they can get a sense of their own self-worth and how they stand up for themselves and but stay safe um, has to happen much sooner. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Don't, I totally agree with you. And I think it's all about the positive role models yeah. around um, yeah. young people in general. It's not just boys, it's girls as well. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think that we have a responsibility ourselves to show them to kind of, you know, um, lead by example mm-hmm. in the way that, you know, have boundaries, difficult, yeah. keep to those you know share the knowledge try and direct them to the right places make them you know young people informed as much as possible whether it's around drugs whether it's about sex education whether it's around um, relationships because relationships a lot of young people getting into relationships young and and they don't even understand what comes of that it's very traumatic and there's lots of different things that come out of that you know some of it is real some is not real it's all sorts of things but they're young so you know and sometimes they're not going to the right people to ask they're watching TV they're watching um, social media and they think this is the way everything's supposed to be so yeah. there's so much yeah. that I yeah. think we have a responsibility to try yeah. yeah, and just share a lot yeah. of information and you know yeah. Julia what would you say that the impact of social media has been on the young people well I think kind of twofold I think being on all the time now I think for all young people regardless of their background is a huge issue because it used to be the case if you weren't having a great time at school or you're having a bit of fallout with your friends you could go home you could have a bit of a break from it and now that isn't possible you're on all the time and and uh, it's often used as a tool as well to kind of make people feel not good enough or bullied or uh, excluded particularly I think Mm. amongst girls will do a lot of no we're not doing anything and then they're kind of out with their friends and the person not invited really kind of feels that I think in relation to the cohort of young men that I work with 
you know, obviously a lot of drill music is posted on YouTube where they're calling people out by name, referring to people that have died. And that really stirs up a huge amount of anger and hostility. And it can be done very purposely. And that is, I think, a lot about status and face and that and just having that as um a way a a tool Mm. kind of really to use but it is also you know I do talk with young people about that about putting themselves at risk but also about the potential for that then to be used in criminal proceedings against them Mm. as well if they're seeing rapping about things that have happened because sometimes um they may in music talk about stuff they actually haven't been involved in that's mm. the other thing but then it can be it has been you know brought into court and used as oh mm. this is evidence that they did x y and z so it can also be used kind of against them as well and also like you said going on from that sometimes you're just making a music video yeah. and but people think it's all gangs that make yeah. a music video yeah. because yeah. there's so many of you yeah doesn't mean yeah. it's a gang no but it, it's yeah. just like yeah. it is interpretation of yeah. things yeah. so would you say that parents also need to be educated on the social media side because i don't think that there's so many apps yeah so yeah. many things happening on social media how do you think parents could play a role in yeah. this you know, giving a child a mobile phone, if you're able as a parent, which you should be, to monitor, because mm. I know my grandson has a mobile phone, mm. well, but he's 15, but he's still, his phone is still monitored yeah. by his parents yeah. very much. They know everything, like, yeah. every move on that phone. Yeah. But that was done from day one. Yeah. I, do you <laughs> so, know, oh, absolutely right. Never came in I between. Think, yeah. It's also as well, um, like you talked about the apps and things like that. And I feel as a youth worker, I'm really having to keep myself updated mm, with some of this stuff mm. because I need to understand the TikTok. So I need to understand the goodness out of some of them. Yeah. They're not all yeah. bad. There's mm. some things that can elevate you and it's got, you know, they say, but Judith, look at this side. So I'm mm. seeing the flip mm. side mm. and I can see the downside to it as well. Mm. So it's the balance. It's being able to understand the balance of social yeah. media. And I think, once you're able to give young people to say to them, look, if you, the laws, yeah. if you post something indecent or whatever, this is what can happen to you. Mm. If, you know, you need, they need to understand where they yeah. can get into trouble. Yeah. And yeah. they also need to understand um, when they're receiving something, you can yeah. still get into trouble. Yes. Again, you, you cannot get away from the relationship because having somebody that they don't have a relationship with saying, you need to think about this, you need, they're a bit like, what? What do you know? Like this. But kind of once you have that relationship, I'm actually always slightly <laughs> taken aback sometimes by the questions that young people are like, do you think this or what do you think? And, um, you know, including about, you know, about sex and relationships. I mean, sometimes I think, oh, am I blushing? But I think um, I'm also kind of really impressed with their Mm. honesty. They're just kids as well. They're They're not problems. They're just these lovely kids who have sometimes taken a wrong turn or made a couple of bad decisions and all kids do that Mm. but for some of these young people the bad decisions have led to such serious consequences Consequences. for them and many of them come from very loving families I have to say who have tried incredibly hard to support them and some have not had such great family experiences but the really common thread is terrible educational experiences and I think that has been so damaging for them some of these kids Kids. I'm not kidding. They're entrepreneurs, yes, but yeah. outside of mainstream, yes. kind of, you know. Yeah. Not your usual. I mean, they're amazing, yeah. you know. But obviously, 
that are involved in some risky stuff and illegal stuff. You know, there's no getting away from that. But that doesn't mean that these aren't extremely bright, articulate, Definitely. capable boys and young men. But for them to try and get a job when they haven't got any qualifications because they've been kicked out of school or they have a criminal record and they're scared to say they've had a criminal record yeah. as well. So often when I meet a young person and you are starting to see them wanting to make some changes it's very hard for them to shift their lifestyle into line with this kind of you get up at eight o'clock you go to a job at this time you know because they find that you know time lots of anxiety as well that affects how they can kind of you know keep to a routine but we're talking about young people and youth violence and things like that I think that whole thing that you were talking about is partly of how much they have to do before they leave the house. Yeah. The thoughts that yeah. are going on yeah. in their heads because perhaps the cults of this... Sometimes it's like they say to me, Judy, if you can't dress a certain way when you go to certain places, you can't yeah. because they'll think you're from this and that. So they have to figure out so, so many much. things yeah. before they leave that house. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, I totally get that whole yeah. time thing yeah. as yeah. well. and. Yeah, I think that's that's Just, really yeah. spot on. I mean, one of the young people I've worked, been working with for two years, I I always have to factor in at least 45 minutes to wait for him. From my point of view, that's the nature of my job. So it's not that he's rude, but when I've actually been in the house waiting for him to leave, he goes upstairs, downstairs, upstairs, down. I've forgotten this. I need to go back in. This hat isn't right. Yeah, it's funny because I was just going to say I was talking about getting t-shirts printed with boroughs on it and names <laughs> and I was told what are you doing yeah, yeah. that is not it's it won't work, yeah. especially in this climate now. But it's so. funny enough to say that I had a t-shirt it must have been about three years ago and it was called Enough is Enough and it had every single borough in is it and those yeah. kids wore them See, that's, yeah, so, so that's, yeah, that, just not having it as a not, singular no, not Not a single yeah. borough, but it no, had yeah. every single, it had a circle and it had enough is enough and it had every single yeah. borough, yeah. which is beautiful. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, I think, I think for young people, they want to not think about postcode. You can't help where you yeah. live. Yeah. yeah, and where you live, you're one little person in that, yeah. in that area or whatever. Yeah. Because... If there's an estate there and there's somebody running that estate and they're bigger than you, then yeah. it's a postcode issue for yeah. other people coming in there. You yeah. can't help where you are. Yeah. Sometimes I said to my own boys, yeah, it's you have to, you almost have to act like a geek. Yes. Yeah. And they did that. They had to yeah. do that to survive because yeah. it's how you dress, how you look, yeah. how you're approached. Yeah. And you've got a rat sack on your back, glasses on your face. Looking a bit strange. Yeah. No one wants to even talk yeah. to you. College yeah. ID. That's the other one. That's it. That so I it's noticed a that, that, um, it's, it's yeah. a really strange. So there's a whole. It's like <laughs> there's so many things that yeah. that yeah. into this. Yeah. But we can see it once again. We're talking about young people. All these things that they have to go. I don't have to think about half those things getting no. up. Yeah. So I'm just saying that when we talk about youth violence or violence in general and carrying a knife, there's a lot more behind it. Yeah. And there's a lot more as services that we could be doing, mm. yeah, mm. in regards to raising awareness. And yeah. the whole thing around young people, they make mistakes, they go inside, but some of them do well, they do education yeah. inside. Is that recognised outside? I think it depends on who they do it with, but I think... Um, because yeah. they're still coming from out yeah, of, yeah. Of but, also, but I kind of... Um, I, one young person had been doing a bookkeeping course in accounts, and now he's doing a degree through the Open University in business. This is a young person who's actually been in and out of custody since he was 14. He's extremely bright, 
young man. And actually, and this is what kind of breaks my heart a bit. He does come from a very kind of fractured kind of family is that he is almost able to function and achieve more in that the the rigid confines of a custodial system and when he comes out even though he hates it in there when he comes out he really he'll acknowledge I find it really hard to impose his own kind of regime and discipline kind of on himself um but he was hadn't been intending to go to college but he just felt so different from all the other college kids his experiences were so different as well I think often young people are worried about if I go to even if they go to college out of borough you suddenly realize that you know kids from Islington are being sent to out of boroughs to Walthamstow Enfield and then at some point they're just with quite a few kids from Islington and they didn't know you know that sometimes the checks aren't done completely or somebody goes through the crack and they don't know and then they're like that's it I'm not going I'm not going it's not safe but I think kind of going back to that bit about the postcode, I work, have worked with a young man for quite a long time from the north of the borough who, um, and never, it wasn't just that he didn't leave Islington, he didn't leave his bit of Islington. So, you know, one Christmas I said, let's go out of the borough, you know, um, I, work, I have a great manager in our team, we agreed to fund a cab, we went down to the South Bank and when we first kind of got down there, this is a lots of people running, jogging along the South Bank, and he's going like this the whole time. I mean, it really brought it home to me how on edge he was, how hyper vigilant, hyper alert. Lot, you know, he had been very seriously stabbed when he was younger, mm. and seen a lot of violence. And he kind of kept jumping the whole time, and and obviously there were police around, and he kept saying, "Why are there so many?" And I said, "It's because it's a tourist area." And he's like, "He was so on edge," and for a bit I thought, "Oh, this is." been a terrible mistake like I'm not sure but actually we just kept walking and walking and after a bit he started to relax and he was like yeah no one cares who I am like it was like a real revelation to him but it was the anxiety and the trauma from the yeah yeah Yeah. and he said it must be so good to live places where no one knows who you are and I was like yeah no I know like that so I mean we were kind of I think we got there about 6 p.m and at 10 p.m I was just like right I'm gonna get your cab to go home but he was really just wanting to walk and walk it was like it felt like a breath of fresh air I think to him and sometimes I think in terms of how we work with young people is, is taking them to there's nothing like oh, this is what it feels like. Outside of their yeah. comfort zone. Yeah. Well, one yeah. of the things we've always done, and I mean, and I'm bringing it back in again, yeah. is the residentials. Yeah. And I've worked with some hard-to-reach young yeah. people yeah. that we took out to places. We've been south of France. We've been to all kinds yeah. of places all yeah. over the world. And it's made such an impact. Yeah. Whether or not, wherever their life took them, they don't forget those experiences. Yeah. The experiences where they were free, they didn't mm. have to look over their shoulder, the mm. fresh air, the greenery, the animals, things that they just don't yeah. normally see. Yeah. Like you said, they don't... Is it as a borough and someone can live in Archway, yeah. Kelly, and not come out of that section? Mm-hmm. That shouldn't be like yeah. that. Yeah. So for me, it's about taking young people out of their environment mm-hmm. into something really different mm-hmm. and showing them that there's more to it than just is it and whatever. And yeah. I think that just more of that needs to be done yeah. too. So what one thing do you want people to take away from this episode? Yeah, I want people to listen, listen to what we said, um, understand young people more, talk to young people. That's another thing, talk to them and just, you know, find out for them, ask them questions, treat them like human beings, yeah. like everybody else. I think, you know, they're more intelligent than people give them. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, just, you know, yeah, communicate. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, one thing. That's quite difficult. I think, um, yeah, Judy's absolutely right. I think in some things more specific, much earlier intervention that isn't, is before young people, that is just about giving them enriching experiences and, you know, kind of from primary school onwards and about building their self-esteem and self-worth. And I think there is a huge issue with the, the relationship with the young people and the police. In, specifically in relation to carrying knives. And I think the vast majority of young people carry knives because they don't feel safe, not because they're looking to go and hurt somebody. Mm. So thank you very much. Um, so what we've talked about, and I actually was going to just sum it up, but you've just done it perfectly <laughs> for me. Yeah, so I'm just going to say consistency is key. Mm. Um, communication. Mm-hmm. And intervention mm-hmm. very early on in primary mm-hmm. school. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Thank Thank you very much. Thank Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having (laughs) us. So listeners, thank you for listening to Uniting Against Violence, the podcast about reducing serious youth violence in our communities. Hopefully you've heard and learned a lot from what's been said. Um, We've put useful links for the things we've talked about today in this episode's description. If you found this episode useful, please subscribe, share and like on socials at Unite Against Violence. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can also email us at unitingagainstviolence at gmail.com. That's unitingagainstviolence at gmail.com. So reducing violence is a big topic and we know we can't cover everything and every perspective. So if you are listening to this, thinking about something we've missed, Please, we encourage you to start conversations where you are. Together, we can unite against violence. So today's episode was co-produced by Sabrina Jackman and Sarah Hutt. Guest speakers was Judith Samuel and Julia Jenkinson. With editing by Sarah Hutt and the host was me, Denise Marshall. Special thanks to our partners, Islington and Camden Councils, Public Health, the Parent House and Crux, and our funder, the Mayor of London, as well as, of course, Lyft Islington and our guest speakers. So once again, thank you for listening and tune in for our next episode.